This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're lucky enough to be doing two with Will Anderson this week. He's also done a Media Week Seven Days podcast. I'm sort of calling this Gruen, but uh, I'll chat about a few other things that he's been up to. Um, and uh, it's good to get him, see him here in Sydney and to see him um, getting some time before he gets into the sort of sort of, I guess, weekly Gruen schedule. Will, uh, as we record this, we're about two weeks from the launch of Gruen. When does it start getting intense, or is um, it already? Yeah, now. I mean, now. So we have a month of pre-production, but really, I mean, we've been doing the show for a decade now. We never really go out of pre-production. That's the truth of it. We get to the end of a season, we'll have a bunch of ideas that we didn't get to, so there's always kind of a list when we come back anyway. But then a lot of what happens is just collection. You know, so during the year, during the months that we're not doing it, if something comes along that you're like, oh, this might be interesting or that might be interesting, a lot of the time it's just about here's an article flicking it through to everybody. And, you know, so by the time we actually come back for a season, we normally have a list of, well, way more things than we would ever get through in a season regardless. And then the show is at its best when we're reacting to things in real time. So then we have to remember to put some of that stuff aside and you know, have our minds and eyes open to be able to go, what's happening here this week? Because Gruen at its best, I think, is less a show about advertising and more a show that uses advertising as a lens to explain the world. So if there's... That's why the most successful versions of the show have been, you know, when we cover the election or when we cover the Olympics, because you are able to use that advertising prism to explain something that everybody else is already watching, but you've got a new lens, a new angle into it. So I think last year, our favourite segment that we did on the whole show was around the census and around census fail. And because for us, that's brilliant. It's in our area. It's all about advertising. It's all about communications. It's a massive communication stuff up. It's, you know, it's crisis management. It's all these various things that are very much in our world. But it also gives people a new way of looking at this thing that everybody was, you know, taking part in and experiencing the frustrations and limitations of. So, that's what we'll be looking for, you know, during the show as much as possible is trying to go, what is happening in the world right now that we could be talking about? Yeah. The, um, for me, the show's just gotten better the, the longer I've watched it. And I think it's really compelling viewing now and you've sort of got to be there. I don't know, is it, does it feel different working on it? Is it hard for you to tell years apart or do you feel more comfortable and that you've got a better product? Oh, I think it's a much better show than it ever was. And the reason is that we've been very lucky. You know, normally when you're doing a show that's 10 years in, uh, what is happening is you're looking for new ways to re-enthuse the show. You're like, how do we freshen this up? How do we get people excited about this show again? Can we get Eddie Maguire to host instead? You know, like, get something exciting going on. Whereas for our show, partly because when we started doing the show, we didn't know what we're doing. This isn't based on a pre-existing format. Uh, we, a Andrew Denton and John Casimir had an idea, which was how can we give people the tools to understand advertising in the way that Frontline gave people the tools to understand current affairs shows. And really, that conceit, that concept, was at the heart of how the show was developed. But if you watch the show from season one to now... Mm. In some ways, it's a very, very different show. I mean, even just the format of the show and the way that we express things, because all we've tried to do through the years is get better and better at doing that. 
now. What's what? Why I think the show is more compelling now than it ever was, and why I always encourage. I mean, we're about to have episode 100, and you know, the ABC are very big on you know, let's do something around the 100th and make a big deal of the fact there's a 100. But to me, that's the complete wrong approach to Gruen because this show is more relevant today than it ever was. We live in a world where the biggest brands, you know, spend millions of dollars on 30 seconds of advertising. They launch them at the Super Bowl, the most watched television show of the entire year, anyone, anywhere in the world. And they launch these ads and people talk as much about the commercials as they talk about the game. The online discussion that's already happening, people are intrinsically linked to brands in their lives now. From the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed, you are being marketed to and marketed to directly now, you know, on your phone into your hand by companies that have so much data about you that they know more about you than you know about yourself now that's what's changed i mean 10 years ago you didn't have to worry about any of that when we started doing this show the idea that you know companies had all this data the idea that they could contact you directly the industry rule of thumb back then was that you saw about 3,000 commercial messages a day just by going about your day it's like 5,000 now like, and it's entwined with everything. The president of the United States of America ran his campaign as a branding exercise. You know, it was all about plugging his hotels and his golf courses. We have marketing and advertising so intrinsically linked with every single thing in the world now that the show is more relevant than it ever was. Sure. So we're lucky. I mean, I think that's the reason that the show is more compelling than it ever was because the subject matter of what we talk about has become more and more compelling and more and more entwined with everything in our world. How much did you know about Todd and Russell when you started? Nothing. No. So we had a process. So we have a, the same process. Every single person who's ever been on our show, because we understand that this is a tough show as a guest. Because you're coming on a program that moves very quickly. We have a lot going on. You are not somebody who necessarily has been raised in the, you know, it's not comedians, it's not commentators. Our first port of call is experts. We wanted people on this show who were experts. This is advertising by the people who make the advertising. We wanted to know why we buy what we buy. And the only way to know that is to get the experts to reveal their tricks to us. So we always needed to treat them with respect. So every year what we do is a series of workshops. So we've done it since the very start of the program and we'll do it again this season. We do it every season. So we'll see somewhere between 8 and 16 new potential guests for this season and we'll do a series of workshops with them we'll get them in and if out of that we get one or two people who are you know good to come into the show format then what happens after that is they come in they watch an episode they sit in the crowd we run them through what it'd be like if they were on the show we you know take their questions because what we want to do is give them the best chance that when they are on the show for them to do a good job so part of the success of the show has been that we have worked as hard as at making the guests as ready for television and that moment as they possibly can be. So Russell and Todd, when we were originally casting for the show, I guess we probably saw 20, 30 different people and they all went through this same process and they were the two standouts by yeah, far. Yeah, and I guess they've educated you a lot too over the years about consumerism and what motivates you when you go shopping and stuff like that. Well, here's the thing, James. I wish I'd learnt more. <laughs> I mean, I intellectually understand it all, but 
Like, you know, the idea was behind this show that, you know, if you understood how they were manipulating you, yeah. you would be less susceptible to being manipulated. But I have not found that to be the case. In okay. fact, in fact, I don't think either Russell, myself or Todd smoke. But I remember one night we did a, a show about a, a cigarette advertising. And afterwards, we all had a cigarette. We shared a cigarette because we were like, this is how good advertising is. A, we know this thing is going to kill us. B, none of us actually smoke. But we have sat and watched and talked talked about cigarettes so much that we now feel like we you need to. You sample so, the product. Yeah. I enjoy watching often the Thursday night. I think it's Gruen Extra. XL, we call XL, it, I that's believe. Right. You, I think you get an extra 10 minutes, roughly. Um, tell me, what's when you record, What do you end? Up, how long does a record average, you think? Do you get much? A bit hard to tell, but I'd say probably an hour. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like hour, hour and change, maybe. Yeah. And then we have a 45-minute version that... You know, so the one that goes to air, I mean, this is the thing about this show is, uh, you know, like, I mean, your average commercial half hour would be about 22 minutes. Our yeah. show's always been around, I mean, it's even started at sort of 26, 27, 28. And now on average, we're about 35. Like, so that's what we tend to normally do is about, a, so we t tend to deliver a round of 35 on a Wednesday and then we deliver like a 42 to 45 for the Thursday. So essentially what the Thursday is, it's loose. It, you get more of my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, essentially that's what you do get. You, essentially you might get one, one conversation we've you know, cut out, yep. but ten, you tend to just get more of my jokes on the Thursday one. Eventually when it gets to the point where we're editing, we always edit for experts and we always edit for content. So if it's a toss up between, you know, I had a great line here or a good joke here versus one of our experts made a great point but wasn't funny, we will always go with the great point over the great laugh. So in the Thursday night show, you get both, but yep. that's because we have those extra sort of seven to 10 minutes to play with. Your intro to the program is always the must-watch must part of it. Tell me, how do you, tell me working through that process, does he, do you sit down and write a lot of stuff? Do you do it at the last minute? Tell me how that works. I would say that most of this show is in what I call in the room. So it's a real uh, small team, and it always has been quite a small team, and most of this show has always been done around a table. So uh, on our team, we have um, a head writer of our show, Sophie Bram, who said that was John Casimir's role originally. Okay. So yep. Andrew and John you know, created the show together, and John was the head writer. And, and, uh, when, and this has been a show where, over the years, one of the great things is, you know, the, the sort of, you know, our producers were assistant producers and before that they were researchers and so this is a show where we hope that if you come along and be part of it there's an opportunity for you within that system to grow through so sophie came out of you know working on the show in a research and writing role yeah. to you know now being the head writer of the show um we have uh, on that team now uh so you have three people working in, in sort of like a, what you would call a research role three researchers uh, and then you have well James Colley, uh, who people might know from, you know, he was Backburner. He's worked on a whole bunch of Australian comedy shows, The Weekly, and a whole bunch of other things as a writer. But he used to do sort of research for us. But now he's, to be honest, James is doing a lot more of helping me with the sort of comedy writing aspects of the show. So that's a bit more his specialist area. Uh, then you have Polly Connolly, who runs the whole, you know, ship. She's the, you know, the series producer, and she's the one who actually makes it all happen. Uh, Nick Murray's there, and I'm there. But in a creative sense... That's the creative core team. You've got Amelia who okay. does the pitches, but I mean, you're talking so about. So you'll sit around a table. We sit around a table. So you record Tuesdays, you broadcast Wednesdays. When do the table discussions start? So our meeting schedule is this boring, people, if I <laughs> no, run you through how good. those shows that's put good. together? Yeah, no, so essentially, good. well, in an average week, 
this is how it would work. So uh, let's say uh, we'll take a week from, let's say we've recorded on the Tuesday night. Yep. Uh, so we record on the Tuesday night. What happens is we do a paper edit. That's what we call it straight after the show, okay. uh, which means that we just sit around. The guys upstairs have been watching the show. They've been taking notes, but then I'll go upstairs and we do what we call a paper edit, which just means we go through the show and we go, what should go in? What should go out? What didn't work? What did work? Okay. And then it goes away and then it's edited through the night. So in fact, oh, wow. through the night and then mostly through the so next day. So somebody who actually physically works through the night. The through edit. the night and through the next day. Yeah. And it takes that long to put the show together. Um, that is not me. I am not that person. No. My job at that stage is to go home, have a rest, and then get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and do 15 <laughs> interviews during the day to tell people that it's on. That's, yeah. that's my job. Yeah. So uh, at lunchtime on that Wednesday, that's our first meeting about the next episode. Okay. So we have a Wednesday lunchtime planning meeting for what the next Tuesday's episode will be. So before... That week's episode has gone to air. We're already we're starting planning the next week's episode. So we tend to decide on what potentially it will be on that day. Um, then Thursday is a writing day. So Sophie will go away and out of all the ideas that were around that table, all these people, you know, pitching in ideas, asking questions, she'll go away and kind of maybe put together a little bit of a, a structure, a sense of it. Yep. We'll meet again on a Friday and see where it's at, you know, start to ask better questions. Um, you know, we've asked, the researchers will have gone away and found different bits of footage. They will have gone away and found, you know, different ideas, you know, that they can throw into the mix. So we'll have a look at that. Uh, so then on during the weekend, it's really just a matter of like fine tuning. Then we'll get to Monday. We'll have a Monday meeting. Now we're trying to lock in actual bits of footage and actual beats of the show, you know. Uh, guests will, will then, at that point, when we've decided what questions we're going to ask, that's when guests who are going to be on the show will uh, get sent those questions because we're not a show that um, – there's no advantage on our show of people being surprised about what the topics are. Mm. They will often be surprised by what I ask them or where the <laughs> conversation goes because that's all spontaneous. Yeah. But there's no advantage to us in shocking or surprising anyone. We want their knowledge, so we want them to be as... So we're like, here is the areas we're going to go to, here's the clips we're going to play, that sort of thing. Uh, Monday is also the day where we look at the show and go, well, what's going on around the world that is more compelling than what we have in here? So often on a Monday, that's when you replace a whole segment. It'll be like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, you know, Kim Jong-un's fired, you know, a bomb over Japan. We, we've decided we're going to talk about North Korea or whatever it is, you know, whatever's in the news. So that's the day when we make that call. So at that stage, now we're looking at the way that we make the show is we put in all the content before we put in the comedy. So at that point, we really haven't put in any comedy okay. at all. So Monday afternoon is where the comedy part of it tends to start. So once we know what the show is... I'll sit down, you know, with the, the vague outline of what the final show is and I'll start to, you know, I'll just it, it go through and put in, you know, whatever pieces of comedy or whatever pieces of styling into the script um, that I want in there, that, you know, that will, my comments, my individual angles, those sort of things. A lot of the time they're already there because the way that Sophie writes a lot of time is if I'm in the meeting and I'm riffing on the thing or asking a question or whatever, she it's already in the script by the time I see it. Um, and then Tuesday morning's my big morning for actually writing the, like really rewriting the that monologue part of the show. Yeah. So I want that as fresh in my mind on Tuesday and we will work on that during the day. That's the sort of thing that 
very much that's my during the day I'll be just fine tuning that fine tuning it in the room often I'll, I'll drop it for time that's the other thing too if we feel like we have a really bulky show suddenly you're like well seeing that was going to be three minutes is now like a minute and a half um, so that's that's just about getting the sense of it in the room you know and having the capacity to have a James there or uh, Frida came Frida Disguise came in last year and did uh, did some uh, great uh, you know, kind of uh, intern work for us. Okay. So during the, it might be that thing of going, I want a joke for this and I want it to go like this, but I'm not, I can't quite get it. James will write me a few lines. We'll bounce those around. That's kind of, you know, the role that he'll be, you know, in this year. So small team, pretty small process. Um, I need to be in it because you need to understand why everything's there. It would be a really hard show to, to come in and just host because a lot of the time you've got to know the reason why something's not there as much as the reason why the things are there. Sure. You know, if we're talking about Amazon, why are we asking these six questions rather than these other six questions? Well, there's a reason, but you've got to know what that reason is. And if you just rock up and look at the script, you wouldn't know. Sure. So you've got to, I think as the host of a show like this, I mean, I, Obviously, a fair amount of my personality and my attitude is infused through the whole show because I'm the host of the show. That's how shows work. But, but I think in a general sense, this show is made in a room with a team. There's not a lot of this show that is made outside those meetings. The research is done. Some of the writing is done. But the real centre of the ideas that we have, the questions we're asking, that, that's a team thing. And I could never tell you who particularly first came up with that question or that idea because what happens is you might come up with hey you know what's weird that biscuit ad with the Dan Sultan song and then someone else goes yeah it's weird they did a cover why would they do a cover yeah how do they even get the rights to that yeah how do they get the rights to that why didn't they go with the original of that song what's the value in it for Dan being involved in a biscuit like and that's how the conversation starts yeah and so that ends up being the question, whatever of those questions are the most interesting questions often ends up being the, the heart and the through line of the show itself. Yeah. When I'm watching with people, they sometimes go, oh, they didn't mention this, but I've got to remind myself, it's not really a news show, is it? And you're not reviewing the news and being satirical. No. Even though that does weave its way in sometimes. Oh, we're definitely not a news show. Yeah. And often we think it's imp is that, like, as interesting from our world point of view to talk about why more people are buying eggs now than they ever have mm. than it is to talk about, you know, Tony Abbott wanting to be leader of the Liberal Party or something. I mean, I think we we try to be to provide stuff that you're not seeing in other places. Yeah. Now last year it was hard because the timing of last year was terrible for us because we had actually uh, we wanted to do Guru Nation. Because I think the show is always at its best if it's talking about something that everybody's talking about. And, and you know, I think the show also, you know, during the election campaign, it is a unique way of looking at the election campaign that no one else can offer. So we'd all sort of, uh, you know, left this time free and cleared our schedules and then Malcolm went and called an early election and ruined it all for all of us. So we ended up doing a series pretty much off the end of a long, boring and overcovered election campaign. So what we made a decision to do in the room was just really avoid politics in a general sense. Like apart from the census, which, you know, seemed, you know, a new yep. and interesting thing, we just didn't dip our toe into that world at all because 
our opinion was that people were just sick of it and we weren't sure what we were going to offer that was unique. Now, the great news about this year, we've come back and we feel like we have access to a lot more things at the moment. You know, I mean, you, you, you feel like some of these political issues are in our area. I mean, like an obvious one you, you could obviously see us talking about was the, you know, the, the postal vote. And the thing about that is you could take the idea of talking about, you know, marriage equality and the different advertising campaigns and the way that it's, you know, being argued, but you could just as easily go, let's look at Aussie Post. Let's look at the fact that they, you know, they've just got rid of, you know, a CEO. They've just brought someone new in. The fact that this is going out in the post, what happens if things aren't returned? You know, what's the future for this? So those sort of ideas that are connected to the real world but are uniquely us, I think we're probably this year in a better position with a bit more clear air to be able to go into those areas without people feeling like they've been overwhelmed or bored with this, you know, election campaign and politics. So, yes, yeah. so I think maybe there will be a little bit more, you know, engagement with topicality this season, you know. But certainly last season we avoided it a little bit more just because of where we were in the schedule and how we felt people felt about, you know, news and politics. Sure. I mean, you've taken one year off in all those in those years. I think is that is it sort of manageable now? Ten episodes a year. Do you think the ABC would take more if you could do them? Because I mean, um, Russell's got a new gig now, hasn't he? He's yep. left TV and he's uh, with a. Um, well, is that PWC, PwC now? Because yeah. Todd's I, I, left his agency. Yeah. Well, I always like to say that, like, because there's always these young kids who come up to me and say, you know, that. Uh, They've started doing advertising and marketing because they love Gruen. And I'm like, well, you have missed the point of the show, really. <laughs> you know, it's like, like watching Breaking Bad and starting making mess. But uh, I feel like, you know, I'm going to take a couple out at the other end. So Todd's out. Russell was out for a while, but he's kind of back in because his role at PwC really is advertising again. In fact, I, I was reading this morning about, um, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they've bought up uh, Adam Ferrier's or invested in – invested in yep. Thinkabell and, yep. you know, probably you're going to see a lot of more of that, I think, those big, uh, you know, those kind of big agencies that have all this money and have these big companies looking at, you know, how you market and promote those companies. So in some ways, I think like Russell's going to feel like he's a bit more on the cutting edge again of that. Um, I'm really looking forward to the idea of Todd not having his toe in the advertising industry because I really do feel like he has some really compelling and interesting things to say about advertising that he has wanted to say for a very long time. And if, sometimes he does say, but I feel like there's a few more in there that now that he's freed, you know, from the fact that he's not going to have to go to a meeting on a Monday morning and answer for the thing that he said about McDonald's or Telstra or whatever, that um, we're probably going to get, you know, an even more sort of incisive and interesting Todd. Um, I think 10's about right. 10 always feels about right to me because... Just because at the very heart of the show, there are some core principles of advertising and marketing and how you sell to somebody that eventually what happens is that our conversations can become a little uh, – I mean, the truth of it is – if you know, you can talk about someone's crisis management and someone else's crisis management, but eventually the key precepts of that might be exactly the same. Or how do you sell dog food? Turns out isn't entirely different to how you sell, you know, shampoo or whatever. There are some core principles. So I always feel like tens about the right amount that you give people the right level of insight without finding that we. Sure. By the end of the season, most of the stuff that tends to get cut out of the show and our records probably get a little longer by the end because you end up having to cut out things that we've already discussed yeah 
This was going to be a joke, and it might be a silly question, but when I think about it, it's probably not a bad question, but Russell and um, Todd have both sort of become a commercial hot, hotter properties, perhaps they were than before Gruen started. During your journey on the show, did, have you become more aware of the Will Anderson brand and, you know, commercial opportunities for you? Well, the problem is I host a show about advertising at the ABC, so it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, I mean, it's like being the eunuch who works in the brothel on Game of Thrones. Like, I'm surrounded by it, and I see how you can have it, but it's of no use to me because I'm not allowed to take any of it. Like, even our podcast, you know, is a good example. Like, you know, we've got a sponsor now for our podcast, and it's a car company, and uh, they offered us you know, the opportunity to drive those cars while they were sponsoring our podcast, but I can't do that. I've not taken, I can't take free things. When people send me offers or whatever, they have to be sent back. They, A, because I work, because for, the work ABC, for the ABC, but B, because I host a show about advertising and marketing. So it's been very important to me, and it was even when we decided to take sponsors for the podcast, if people listen to, the, you know, the way we do our sponsorship... It's no personal endorsement from me. It's always about the podcast. Charlie does all the the actual, you know, endorsement or like, you know, the, the ad read copy and I just am around, you know, trying to be funny around it and make it interesting. Um, I have very strict rules and regulations about that and perhaps even stricter than I have needed to do. But I felt because so many things come to me. Like the amount of times that somebody has messaged me and gone, do you want to earn $200,000 for, you know, saying some nice things about blah, 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 or whatever. Really? Yeah, don't even have to be in the ad. Is that really that much? You, yeah. One recently. I, yeah. I tell you about, like, I mean, I can't tell you about no, it, obviously. Okay. But, I, yeah, a, 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 essentially a company, an industry of some kind said, could you, like, yeah, we put you on the, and, you know, yeah, we'll pay you this much. And a couple of hours of work or something. Well, no, it's, it really would just have been <laughs> like saying, hey, I, like say, for example, say it was a plane company. It wasn't yeah. a plane company, no, no, okay. but let's just say it was. Mm. You know, say it was Virgin and they said, we're going to fly you all, the, you know, like we'll give you $200,000 and mm. you'll, you'll fly for free for a year. But all you'd have to do is every time you got on board a plane, take a photo of yourself or put it on your Instagram or, you know, tweet about the fact that you were, you know. So that stuff happens all the time. And sometimes even on a small level, it might be you know, Air New Zealand hitting you up to say, hey, during the Bledisloe Cup tonight, can you tweet the link to our okay. safety demonstration that the All Blacks are in? Yeah. Like because you are surrounded by people who work in those industries, the first person they go to, obviously, is you. So I've, I've just had to have a strict blanket policy of doing nothing. I don't do any of it because how do I decide which of the things is okay and which is not okay? So I probably err on the side of, you know, sending things back that probably nobody cared that um, when they sent out a Vegemite that had my name on it, mm. that I kept that. Probably nobody was, but but I sent it back anyway because that's, you know. Yes. Um, but sometimes it is the case. I mean, for example, remember Chico Roll had that hand, the Chico Roll hand? Right. And we yeah. talked about it on the show. But they'd sent me one of those, which I had luckily sent back, because if I had taken it, I don't think that, I would have felt comfortable us talking about it on the show. I would have felt like, yeah, they sent me that so that we would talk about it. If I send it back, then I can go, no, this is just generally something that we all agreed was something worth talking about on the show. So um, 
Maybe one day, like maybe there'll be a good cash it in day. You know, maybe when Gruen goes under, I can just... If the back really doesn't get any right, better. Yeah, right? my value will have gone to the point. <laughs> or the other one, Andrew always used to joke before he left that, um, you know, eventually we'd just know enough that we could start our own agency. You know, <laughs> we've sucked up all the secrets. I mean, I'm sure we could get Russell and Todd involved. Right. We'll get Andrew back. We'll get John, Johnny Casimir uh, in. You could write some fees there. Right, we could. There you go. That's how we'd actually do it. <laughs> The, um, and that wouldn't have been a bad move by Virgin, given your Qantas um, <laughs> experience earlier this year. Look, I'm yet to buy a Holden car, but I did find myself um, checking the movement.com <laughs> website the other night for the, the watch people. So yeah, I mean... It was, I, it was weird. I mean, I, I, I didn't really think about it, but then I thought, oh, someone was telling me about watches, and I was going, oh, that's right, they're, they're sponsoring one of the podcasts now. So well, I mean, I've been... Uh, th- like, those sort of companies... Because they, they sponsor a podcast that I love called uh, Pod Save America. Uh-huh. And it's the guys who used to work in the White House with Obama. They were Obama's speech writers and advisors, and they now have their own uh, podcast network, Crooked Media. Um, but uh, they sponsor their shows. And so I, I, it's one of those things where you're like, I, I, we held out against advertising on the podcast forever. Yeah. In yeah. fact, we, to be honest, we didn't want to do it. But about a year ago, the podcast industry changed in such a dramatic way with all these major players coming in. And, you know, Podcast One and Nova and all these guys, sure. you know, even like Wooshka and, you know, like all these sort of companies that are coming in trying to monetize and, you know, build this podcast industry because they've seen what a huge audience there is there now. Our little podcast was just going to get lost in it all. And what we decided that if we wanted to keep doing them, then we had to put in some infrastructure around it that, you know, in a way that we could, you know, get some advertising on just to be able to compete with all these new people coming in. So uh, we uh, brought on a mate of ours. Luckily, we have a mate who also happens to be the most talented uh, radio producer in the entire country. So uh, Sam Kavanagh, who oh, people yeah. might know, you know, obviously big wig at Osterio, sure. but Hamish and Andy's producer, people might know him as originally. Yep. And so Sam's a mate of Charlie's and I. And so Sam came on as a partner in uh, Tofop Industries, you know, um, oh, really? about a year ago. And uh, with the view of us going, well, how do we do this? And if we're going to do it, we need someone who knows, you know, how this is done. And he, you know, Sam's excited about the world of podcasting and the opportunities, you know, rising there. So he's been doing the majority of the legwork for us um, and sort of, you know, trying to work out what was best for us. Uh, we originally kind of thought, started with that idea that we might have our own network. You know, I mean, we have four podcasts. We have five, really. Like, we have uh, Philosophy. We have um, Tofop and Fofop. We have Two Guys, One Cup, and Charlie Has That's Awesome. Um, Some of those are regular and some of them are not. But we were like, well, we've got five. If we brought on a couple of others, maybe we could have our own network. So that was the original thought behind it. But as we went out there, we actually realised we were thinking about it the wrong way because the core, we were looking at it like, well, we should have our own network for these shows because... They've all got me in them or they've all got Charlie in them. But we realised that was the wrong way to think about it because Willosophy is a very different show to Two Guys, One Cup and there's not necessarily a reason that people who listen to one would listen to the other. So I think the model that we are experimenting with at the moment is this idea of looking at ourselves less as like a network and more as like a production company in the same way as you know yeah, yeah, yeah. as cjz is a production company you know yeah, they make place the programs where they right, make sense where they make sense yeah. so you know two guys one cup our afl podcast it makes sense to be in a place we you know where 
that world is and where people listen to those podcasts. And it also makes sense that a podcast like that, that's why you can get Holden on board because they understand it's a specific market. It's pitched to these specific people. You know, the idea of having one big sponsor that covers the whole thing is fantastic, you know. So, um, you know, uh, with uh, Tofop, because it's, uh, you know, such a silly kind of pop culture you know, comic book, you know, time travel podcast – you know, we joined up with some guys at a you know, Planet Broadcasting at a Melbourne. Now, I mean, that's a husband and wife team who were school teachers who've built their own it's sort an of amazing setup they've got. Amazing, and they've done a brilliant. I, I job. didn't know much about it, but gee whiz, since I've I've learned a bit, Ben, we Crudy did a story on them. She spoke to them, and their social following is just stunning. Oh, and I mean, this fact that they have this podcast, The Weekly Planet, that is like doing... And it's a global thing too. Global. Here, oh, I mean, it's, well, no. to be honest, not here as much as... Yeah. I mean, they're much more popular overseas than they are here still, mm. although that's changing. I think people are more and more getting into their podcasts. But for Tofop, that felt perfect to us because that's how Tofop started. Yeah. You know, it was just two mates having a conversation with no other dreams or aspirations. So the idea that, you know, this was like a husband and wife who were school teachers who had this philosophy to build it from scratch, that felt like where that show belonged. So I think that's the, you know, when you look at philosophy, you know, I look at, well, that, you know, that maybe that's something that could sit on, I don't know, like, I mean, who knows? But, you know, say the ABC decided they wanted to have it there or say... But ring you know, Sam if you've got an idea for it. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if Triple M are listening <laughs> to this or the other podcast. <laughs> but, you know, say podcast one. Well, to use that Triple M example, because I listen to uh, the uh, Hot Breakfast podcast mostly, you know, because I'm, when I'm overseas, I don't get to hear it. I listen to podcasts. And I've noticed they've done a brilliant job with... Uh, the Howie Games, which is Mark Howard's podcast. He's great. I like Mark Howard. Uh, well, Howie and I uh, went to high school together. We were uh, close friends from high school. And I will say that when he decided he was going to do the Howie Games, we sat down and had a long chat about podcasting okay. and stuff. So, but I'm, so I'm very proud of how that's gone for him. And it's an amazing podcast. But also, they're doing a great job of promoting it. Like, you know, in the middle of that podcast, you're hearing Howie come on with a clip from Kathy Freeman or a clip from blah, blah, blah. And... So, you know, I could say, you know, philosophy, like maybe if Podcast One wanted to, you know, have a look at something like philosophy, you could go, well, if they were promoting any of their shows like that, mm. that would be probably a good opportunity for, for that to grow. So I don't, I think we've, we're taking a much more let's create things and then find a home for them rather than thinking that we need to create the home for them. Sure. Just, um, just a few quick things. I won't keep you too much longer. The, the, before we get off TV, I'm worried about we're going to lose you to TV here. Now, I'm, I can't remember. Was it on Fofop? Maybe the second most recent one. You were talking about pitching some ideas to American broadcasters and you went into HBO. You're a bit shorter on detail. <laughs> I can't give too much away. I know, about, I know. But I, uh, I'm, just, I'm asking you. So oh yeah, no, just, we had a- just bring us up to date on um, for people who didn't hear that, maybe. What- we uh, Look, there's been... Without giving uh, too much away, there's been some renewed international interest in Gruen because now that we live in this world where, like, uh, people have loved this show for years. Mm. I mean, obviously, anyone wants a show that, like, I mean, a show that, you know, essentially without any backing has had, like, a 10-year, you know, uh, audience locked in in this way. And again, I don't say that to boast about the show. I think it's because... You know, people are already having these conversations about advertising and marketing. Everybody has an opinion about advertising and marketing. Yeah. Everyone knows that they're being advertised to and marketed to. There just isn't a program out there that in an entertaining way, you know, 
lets you indulge that and understand that. So I think the world always was very aware of the show. Um, the problem is that not everywhere has the ABC. So a lot of these places are like, how can we make a show like yours when we have to put ads in it? And I understand that. It's almost impossible to make a show like ours when you have to put advertising in it. But that's not how television works anymore. There are so many networks out there now that don't rely on that advertising model. So we, you know, I mean, we talk to everybody from HBO to Showtime to, you know, like, uh, you know, Netflix and Amazon and, you know, all these places where they don't have advertising now. So, um, yeah, it's a, so... That was a really brilliant experience. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk yeah, about. That's all but, right. You've but probably it, also told us yeah, too much. But Yeah, probably <laughs> I have. But, I mean, look, you know, th there's a difference between... The, the interesting thing is there's always a difference, like I think that people sometimes don't understand is getting to be able to pitch a show is fantastic and be able to walk into those rooms. I mean, when we were at Netflix... I think it was when we were at Netflix, Robert Redford was literally in the room across from us. Stop. Glass really? Glass doors, really? you know, having a meeting about something and you're <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're like Guess Robert Redford's not looking in here going, That's Will Anderson, I suppose, right? <laughs> but you know, I mean it's amazing to walk into those buildings and sit with those people and to sit in a room where, you know, you you know, on a network that you watch and a place where you consume the media that you enjoy. But but I do think a show like Gruen for America more than anything. I mean, this is a show... I mean, it's a show about America in the language of America. I mean, you know, they, they say that capitalism is the... you know, uh, Sorry, that uh, advertising is the poetry of capitalism. Well, America is the home of capitalism. You know, they just elected a brand that ran, ran against the other the biggest brand. When you talk about the Super Bowl, that's America. America spends 30% more on advertising a year than any other country in the world. It's amazing that this show doesn't exist in America. So... Yeah. So, you know, I hope one day that it might, but there's a long way between going out and telling people about a show sure. than, you know, than someone actually saying we would like to make that show. Would that, um, does that get your creative juices flowing, the thought of, you know, making something for a massive audience in the, in the US and would probably be even globally, depending on who picked it up? I mean, I, I, here's what I would say is my, my creative juices have never really, <laughs> luckily, depended on the size of the audience I'm performing to. Okay. Often, you know, you're at your most creative when you, you're, not, you're not sure if you're making something for anyone. Mm. You know, all the podcasts grew out of that idea of, like, you know, just being creative for the sake of being creative. So I can't say that it would get my juices flowing any more or less, but do I think that Gruen as a show could be a show that, yeah, you know, does something genuinely unique on television and has a story to tell that is beyond the story that it tells in Australia. Yeah, I absolutely believe that to be the case. And if it's not anything to do with me, if it happens to be five years from now or ten years from now that, you know, America comes along and they rediscover the format and they find someone, you know, brilliant to host it and be the panel and they tell the story of Gruen, I still think it would be a great show for you know, America and for the rest of the world. So, yeah, no, I 100% believe that if someone out there took a risk on making a show like Gruen, that it would be successful and that it would have a unique and interesting story to tell to the world. But whether that will actually happen, I am unsure of. Sure, sure. Um, you do the four podcasts. I mean, uh, Tofop and Two Guys, One Cup uh, are pretty much every week. Fof Faux fop is nearly every week. Faux fop Sometimes is... Sometimes more than... Nah, mate. More. So 
the idea is so Tofop is like Tofop's Charlie and I, and then he left, and so I yeah. started Fofop just as With a guest site. Charlie's. Yeah, guest Charlie's. But we've done like 170 Tofops over eight years. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that it's, we've had some, but you've stuck pretty but much I've, to a schedule. But I've done 280. <laughs> Uh, faux fobs. So there's oh, as a, as a, yeah, as a side project. It's a very <laughs> it's a very big project. It's literally my side project, and it's the biggest amount of work. I mean, there's probably 400 hours of faux fob episodes out there. But um, it it happens. Faux fob happens when I'm in a place where there's lots of comedians. So if I've been in LA. I tend to do a whole bunch of faux fops in a row. Or if I'm at a festival, there tends to be a whole bunch of faux fops. And then if I'm not around those things, faux fop tends to go on holiday for a while. That's normally what happens. How do you decide between a philosophy and a faux fop? What is the... Uh, I mean, faux fop's easy. Philosophy's hard. That's how I decide. So... um, Firstly, I need two hours minimum if I'm going to do philosophy. You can get faux fop done in an hour. Um, you're asking something uh, much more of people, which is to like of comedians in particular. If I get comedians on, which is to to not always be funny, um, which is sometimes harder than just going for like jokes and having fun and mucking around. Um, that said, I mean, there's certainly those elements in Fofop as well. I mean, the thing that I love about podcasting is you can go from the most recent one I did with Gareth Reynolds goes from insanity to, you know, quite a considered and, you know, disturbing conversation about Charlottesville and the state of America at the end, you know, but an hour and a half in, we get to that, you know. So, philosophy is something that I would like to do more often because of all of them, it's the most listened to. So, per episode, okay, like, you know, per episode, per download, it substantially gets more downloads than any other thing that I do. So probably a good answer to your question of whether the, you know, the size of the audience determines it. It has the biggest audience, but it's that the one... That was also the first, though, wasn't it? Too, no, no. Tofop was the first. Tofop was the first. Tofop was the first, then Fofop, then Willosophy, okay. then the AFL one. So, yeah. yeah. So I'd like to do it more regularly, but it involves... I can't do anything else that day mm. also. So... I could do like three faux fops in a day. I'm having fun with my mates, you know, riffing, creating something, laughing. I could do one philosophy and then I might as well just cancel everything else I'm doing in my day because the level of uh, engagement and interest you have to have in somebody else and to get to what that podcast does when it's at its best is quite exhausting sort of mentally, intellectually. So it's one that I would love to do more regularly. I mean, anyone who's ever listened to it, I always find these people who – because there's only like 40, 50 episodes of it, often somebody who discovered a new, because I've put one out, they'll rush through the 50 episodes thinking I put it out weekly and then realise I'll go whole months without ever putting one out. And also they'll hear, essentially, if you listen to the intros of philosophy, I've tried to quit doing that podcast. I think like, there's like literally eight times where I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. This is it. This is the final episode. And then like a couple of months later, I'll be like, all right, I'm back. Here's another one. So... Um, I'd like to do it more regularly, but I don't know where I would find the time at the moment. Well, you are the intro king on a podcast, really, aren't you? I mean, <laughs> was it uh, the – I'm sorry, I keep getting it mixed up. I think it was Fofop two weeks ago. It was 12 minutes before we got we got into That's that. That's not too bad, actually. I've done much longer ones than that. <laughs> and and philosophy can also be a bit of a uh, exhausting listen, too. Yeah. I remember the Osher Gunsberg. Yeah. Wow, you, you – 
you cover some heavy ground in that one. Yeah. Well, that's and, what um, I mean. Yeah. And And often, I mean, often even when we're doing those shows... Um, if you need a break when you're listening, that's totally fine because we probably took one when we were recording. <laughs> yeah. In the Osher one, we definitely did. Um, and there was some stuff that he asked me. There's, it's rare ones where someone asked me to cut something out. Um, but I do give them – I say at the start because it's not 60 minutes. You know, if they say – I'd rather them say whatever they want to say and if the end there's something that they don't want in there, then, then let's just I'll, – I'll take it out for them. Uh, there's only been a few occasions over the time. Uh, there was one with an American guest, a female guest, who I won't name because of the topic sure. of it, but um, a brilliant uh, person, and she said something about Gamergate, you know, about the sort of guys online who, uh, you know, essentially dox people's lives. And it was a really brilliant comment, and it was really fantastic, but she asked me to take that out just because she didn't want her life destroyed by these yeah. people. And I was like, fair enough. Sure. Uh, Tim Ferguson said some brilliant things about uh, television in Australia that he asked me to take out because he was pitching some shows to those same people. <laughs> and uh, Osha, we got pretty deep on that. If people haven't heard that, he, he came with a lot to say and he said a lot. Um, he said even more than, than people here. There was a couple of things that I took out. Not many, okay. uh, but it got really, really raw. So at its best, I think it does get to, to that point. But again, you're asking a lot of someone to... Sometimes it just comes out naturally. The Felicity Ward one's a good example, you know. Like, Flick's a great mate of mine, and she's been on Fofop as well, but I wanted her to do philosophy, and, you know, she spoke about, you know, sort of her mental health and depression and, you know, why she gave up drinking and all those sort of things, and, you know, we just kind of jumped in the deep end and got into it. So, some, like, you know, I don't go in going, I'm going to talk to Flick about depression or I'm going to talk to Osher about drinking or anything. I just go in with a pretty open mind to take it from there, and then sometimes it just it ends up there. Sure, sure. The... I'd just like to get a things you make sure you get every week. Um, I'm I'm find myself drowning in a sea of podcasts. There's so much stuff you can sample that sounds good, but there's no way you could. It's like if you're a premium drama fan, you can't watch everything. You've got to make decisions. And go okay. I'm never going to see that because there's no time. Yep. What are your sort of must listens? Oh, I mean, I listen a lot. I probably listen to more stuff than because a lot of the time I'm just. By myself. Yeah. The other thing is yeah. because I have this bad back, I walk a lot. Okay. So, you know, on the bus, walking around, all those sort of things, good time to listen to podcasts. So I would say, well, what do I what are my must listens? So I my favorite comedy podcast is an American podcast called Oh Yeah Dude, uh, which is one of the oldest podcasts on the internet. They've been around for 10 years or so, I would say. Um, it's amazing. Just two guys, you know, making this podcast the same way they have uh, for all these years. It's I, I'm a Patreon, Patreon supporter of theirs, and um, I love that podcast. Uh, so comedy podcast, that's my number one. Um, I always listen to The Dollop, the uh, yeah, American History podcast with uh, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds, who are also regulars on Fofop. Um, I always listen to uh, uh, I Love Green Guide Letters, I always, which is an Australian podcast. I always listen to uh, The Little Dum Dum Club, which is an Australian podcast. I've really been enjoying um, uh, Don't You Know Who I Am, right. which is Josh Earle's podcast, which is just getting uh, better and better. Um, I... <clears throat> internationally listen to uh, every week the Jackie and Laurie show Jackie uh, Cation and Laurie Kilmartin I love their show which is on Nerdist um, there are others like Crab Feast and Comedy Film Nerds and some of those that are, you know I go in and out of I would say um, and then like newsy ones well I always listen to Hot Breakfast podcasts yep. listen to that every day I listen to the SEN 
uh, breakfast podcast because I love AFL football. Tim Gary and, and uh, Hamish. Tim yeah. Gary and Hamish. Yeah. So listen to that uh, every morning. Um, listen to the podcast of that. So that's normally good because between Eddie's show and uh, the SEN one, that's a pretty solid two hours. So <laughs> I normally have to walk at least for two hours a day. So I'm like every day I can lock in, I can listen to that. Yes. And I'll be up to date with the footy. During the footy season, I'm then listening to a bunch of other footy podcasts. So I listen to the Junk Time AFL podcast. Um, I like uh, the Outer Sanctum, uh, the all-female AFL podcast. I think it's fantastic. Um, I listen to the Fox Footy one. I listen to the Age Real Footy podcast. I listen to... Uh, oh, Hutchie and uh, Damien's uh, sounding, sounding board, board which yeah. I love. Yeah. I think that's, that's good particularly fun, yeah. for me because that's real. Com- that combines a whole bunch of my sort of interests. That one because that's you know a lot of behind the scenes media talk, which is obviously something that you know is a passion and an interest of mine, but also footy in that world. Um, I listen to uh, definitely on the weekends. I listen to the. Friday night, uh, Saturday and Sunday podcasts of the 3AW teams, and I listen to the Friday, Saturday and Sunday of the Triple M rubs and, you know, et cetera. So I listen to all of those every weekend. Um, I listen often to the Saturday morning, uh, the the Saturday morning ABC Grandstand footy one. Um, Then I listen to Pod Save America. I listen to Pod Save the World. Um... Well, I listen to something. Oh, I listen to uh, Jeremy Sears' podcast, uh, "Well May We Say," which is an Australian sort of news and politics podcast. I like um, uh, Dom and uh, Andrew Street's podcast. The duh, what's that one called? The duh, oh. but anyway, Dom and Andrew. Yeah, Dom and Andrew's podcast, yep. but Dom Knight and Andrew P. Street's yes. podcast, yep. which is yep. good. Um, oh, I like the the BuzzFeed one that uh, Mark and. Uh, Lane and all those guys right, were doing, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I can't remember the name Buzzfeed, of as well. Oslo, but yeah, yeah. yeah, Ozpolitics one. Uh, that's so pr- I, I think that that would, that's a lot, though. That, would, yeah, that sounds like a lot. That's an exhaustive sound, list. But, yeah, it does sound a lot. You but yeah, time I listen to most of those. Do, you're, you seem to be performing a little less live than you have been. Can podcasting, can that replace some of your live work for you? Uh, I mean... I don't, I don't know if that's actually probably right. I think that... Um, the last few years, I've probably performed as much live as as ever. Probably well, more. Maybe so. this year then. This year, up until now, has been very busy. But a lot of it, okay. I guess, I did the big tour, obviously. So that was the majority. Critically, will was the most recent. Yeah. So show. critically, will. So I did nearly three solid months of touring that show. Yeah. And then I just took that overseas and took it to yeah. Montreal as well. I, I would have seen that last year. No. no, so critic, critic, so when that critically will critically start? will started in March first this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. whatever that what that would have been, right. whatever the show was before, yeah, yeah, yeah. fire okay. at will or right. free will. Yeah. Can't remember what of those. <laughs> fire at will, fire at will. I think it was. Yeah, the previous okay. one. So okay. no. So this was the new show. So I toured okay. that. Well, I toured that right over Australia this year. In fact, did a bigger tour than I had previously because I did like Hobart and Wollongong and a few places that I haven't been recently. Did actually sort of Harvey Bay and like, you know, down some Newcastle, some places down there as well. Did, I mean, the infamous Wagga Wagga flight, which will be, you know, (laughs) next year's show. Uh, (laughs) That was the last night of the Australian tour. And then um, uh, then I took it overseas. So I took it to Montreal just for laughs. I did a bit of American touring. Um, So, yeah, not really. But here's what I would say is you might be more prescient than because I think that what I'll probably do for the rest of the year, because um, the one thing that my back health is problematic is 
the travel for performing. So what I probably will see is less over the next sort of four or five months of live performing until I, you know, sort of start my tour again next year with the new show. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Have you got a name yet for your new show? Have you... Well, I thought Will Legal might be nice <laughs> considering the circumstances that I'm going to speak about. Well, wonderful stuff. Look, um, I think I better let you go. We've um, taken up a lot of your time today. Um, look, it's great getting you in here. Just so give us a bit of a plug-a-thon while you're here. So All right. Gruen's coming up. Gruen, September 13, 10 mm-hmm. episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're really excited about the show. And yeah. like, that's the thing I would say. And if you've never li- watched Gruen before, because yeah. that's the other thing. If you were five, ten years ago, you're 15 now. And maybe, you know, it might be the sort of show for you. We are not a show doing a victory lap. We are not a show that is coming back to, you know, like we, we, we think that we have a more compelling and more interesting story to tell now than we ever have. So yes. I'm really excited about that. Uh, so that's Gruen. Um, I uh, have four podcasts. I have an entire imaginary radio station. Yeah. I have Tofop and Fofop, which are comedy podcasts. Uh, I have Two Guys, One Cup, an, an AFL podcast with my friend Charlie, who I do Tofop with. Uh, Fofop's with a bunch of other comedians from around the world, you know, a whole bunch of people that people might know. Joel McHale's I've been on recently, Jen Kirkman, uh, Tom Rhodes is on a recent episode. Um, brilliant people that you might know. Um, uh, Willosophy, which is my sort of interview podcast about essentially the meaning of life that's kind of what it's meant to be about what do you reckon life's about and uh so that's it that's the podcast um you're is there anything some, else you're doing some tofop live oh, that's probably sold out james though, good no good work Opera we still House. have some tickets available <laughs> uh september 15 and 16 we are doing live tofops at the sydney opera house so i think 15th is sold out but i think there are tickets still available to the one in the 16th yep. i can say that we are doing a live crossover AFL one the day after the AFL grand final in Melbourne with the guys from uh, the Junk Time AFL podcast Michael Chamberlain and Adam Rosenbachs yep. Yep. yep so after the Bulldogs won the grand final none of our teams <laughs> sadly have even, won't happen this year none of our teams have even made the finals <laughs> this year so it'll be a completely different podcast but that's the day after the grand final that's selling pretty quick so you'd want to get in quick if you want to come and see that and uh, I will be involved with some of but not all of the live dollop shows that they are doing in Australia when they tour here at the end of October or something, like mid-October, I think. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. I think that's it. I think that's all my plugs. Alrighty. Look, if you've enjoyed uh, the Will Anderson podcast, find out what else we get up to at mediaweek.com.au. If you want to hear his job application podcast, listen to our seven days podcast. Eddie Maguire, uh, Luke Darcy, <laughs> Guy Dobson, Mike Fitzpatrick, any yeah. of you guys. Grant uh, Blackley, let's Grant, yeah, get Grant in. Yeah. Uh, anyone want to have a listen? Uh, I, you know what? That monkey who used to choose the music. <laughs> I don't care who it is. Any Black Thunder drivers out there? The guys from Thirsty Merc? I don't know. Just... Um, look, I, you know, I could be convinced. I yeah. could be convinced, guys. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if I get this job from this podcast, James? That'd, that'd, be, fan- that'd be fantastic. Fantastic. There's probably, <laughs> there's probably someone out there who's got to go, and you bastard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll try and make sure this never goes to air. Okay, mate, thank you. <laughs>